Welcome to the PaxX Podcast, available on Apple and Google Podcasts. This is episode 69 of the show where we talk about how the airline passenger experience is evolving in a mobile, social, vocal world. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mary. I'm already starting to plan out the uh, aviation activities for 2020. I've got some air shows I want to visit. Uh, I've got some museums I want to visit. And I think it's going to be uh, a year-long roadshow for me next year. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, how exciting. I hope I bump into you on the road there, Max. Yes. Well, it would be nice to meet you in person, finally, after finally. all these years. <laughs> well, no, I don't think our listeners realize that you and I have actually never met. <laughs> That's right. We'll have to fix that. We will. We will. All right. Well, let's take a look at the PaxX news stories that are making headlines. The airline-owned airline tariff publishing company, ATP Co., was known mostly for being an airfare clearinghouse. Well, the company is now enjoying a new level of prominence in the industry since it acquired Root Happy, the leading provider of rich content for flight shopping. And online travel agents are singing the praises of Root Happy. They are, you could say, happy about the, the route this combo has taken. Mary, you recently attended ATP Co.'s Elevate conference to learn more about how big PaxX data is evolving. What did you learn? Well, Max, I, I saw firsthand that the PaxX data collection work that uh, was undertaken by Root Happy several years ago has really helped to bring transparency to the airline passenger experience and has made passengers far more informed about what to expect in flight. So let me explain to our listeners, and I don't know if you remember, Max, but a group of aviation geeks started collecting PaxX amenity data years ago to feed Root Happy. And the original model effectively allowed passengers to plug a route in on Route Happy's website and see what they could expect in terms of seat comfort, IFE, Wi-Fi, in-seat power availability on various airlines. And it was really useful. Yes. Uh, I used it all the time. Uh, these aviation geeks also shared countless reviews about their experience with all of these different uh, services. And this helped to bring a remarkable database, uh, to build rather, a remarkable database at Root Happy. And they were sitting on an absolute goldmine of valuable data about the passenger experience. And Root Happy quickly became the leading provider of what we call airline-rich content, you know, details all about what to expect in flight. So Root Happy's model did change. It moved away from a, an approach where it was directly providing amenity data to passengers, and it went into the B2B realm. But the goal of accelerating the transformation of flight shopping from a commoditized to a differentiated, uh, you know, offering remained intact. So ATPCO is the world leader for airline pricing and shopping data, and it saw fit to acquire Root Happy a couple years ago to create a trusted industry standard with the aim of transforming the shopping experience everywhere passengers buy flights. And the end result, Max, is that when you shop for flights on countless platforms, be they airline websites or travel sales channels, you increasingly see what you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> So you know what to expect in flight before the flight. And so purely, for instance, if you jump on CheapAir.com, for example, and they're big, big fans of Root Happy. They even said so at this uh, Elevate conference. 
Um, you'll know what aircraft you're, uh, will likely be deployed on your route. You'll know what IFEC amenities to expect. You might even see photographs of the product, especially if you're flying in premium classes, because airlines seem kind of eager to share, of course, photos of premium. <laughs> Um, and so increasingly rich content is not just details about the actual experience, but can include visuals as well. Um, so there's still a lot of work to be done. And, and Google Travel, in fact, said at the ATPCO Elevate conference, and this was in the D.C. area uh, just over a week ago, it said it wants uh, many more photos of the airline passenger experience. So it wants to be able to describe and, and, and explain what you're going to get and show what you're going to get. Um, because it's so hugely beneficial, Max, to be able to see this is the type of seat, this is the type of IFE. Mm, Um, And you can kind of see where this might ultimately lead to uh, like 360-degree views of the cabin and all of that stuff in time. So meanwhile, ATPCO has for the last couple of years been working to support airlines as they become more agile in their pricing. And at the Elevate conference, ATPCO announced it has enhanced its model for dynamic pricing, which will enable airlines to complement their standard pricing, which is otherwise known as these pre-filed fares, with a new model, a new dynamic model that will enable airlines to get more price points out to the market, including personalized pricing to customers, which... Uh, if you've been following the distribution space uh, over the last 10 years, that can be a little bit controversial, Max, personalized mm-hmm. pricing to customers. But you can certainly see where this this all could lead. But um, I had the pleasure of interviewing AT Pico's head of marketing and comms, uh, Beth Taylor, at the show. And her enthusiasm for the work that they've accomplished just in the last few years was really, really infectious. Um, and as you said, AT Pico has been there in the background for decades collecting this pricing data, but now it's really front and center and a force to be reckoned with because, as I said, they're sitting on a gold mine of Paxex data and pricing data, which enables airlines and travel sellers to merchandise on an entirely new level, which on balance is good news for passengers, Max, because we've got more visibility into products. And airlines can tailor uh, what they show and tailor their pricing. And so one can imagine that uh, many of them see it as good news uh, (laughs) for the sellers as well. So it's interesting days, Max, in terms of transparency in PaxX and moving away from this commoditized uh, product. Yeah, these days having data seems to be part of the the winning strategy for a company. And uh, with all of this data available to them, uh, they can, I'm sure, do some pretty amazing things. Is this all part of the next generation storefront that ATP Co. has? Yes, yeah, so that is in sync with uh, effectively what they've been doing with Root Happy and all of their airline partners and uh, you know uh, GDSs and online travel agents and how they're they're trying to uh, work with all of those partners. In addition to that, what they've recently done is finalized uh, the U.S. market version of what they're calling the Next Generation Storefront Standard, um, and this standard is kind of a, a set of standards designed to simplify and enhance the flight shopping experience. Allowing an airline um, to sort of sort the products and services its consumers are actually looking for. Um, And there was a lot of interest in this standard at the Elevate conference um, and a lot of support from it, Max, again, from really anyone who's selling air travel right now. Mm. Um, To be able to to have a, a, a standard look where this is what you can expect and and um, 
it, it's going to be interesting days then, Max, to even bring a new level of, of effectively transparency to this industry. Um, so we're watching this space. I'm watching it now a little bit more closely. Certainly, um, I attended Elevate in a largely uh, a capacity to educate myself because um, I haven't done really a focused study look at distribution in, gosh, it's probably been four years now. I've been so mired in like hard product and soft product of the passenger experience that I haven't actually tracked as closely as perhaps I should the um, the data side of the equation. And so now um, I use this conference to try and educate myself and spool up. And, and my goal is then to, to provide more coverage on that front. So uh, so we could be talking a little bit more about this here in, in, in future episodes, Max, as to, to what it really means then to the passenger and, and their ability to book the product that they want, the product that they need, uh, and the product that they effectively will suit uh, their unique requirements. And was the Elevate conference well attended and what kinds of people were there? It really was. And it was folks from across the spectrum, from airlines to global distribution companies to, of course, a, a ton of online travel agents. And, um, you know, it, it was it was really impressive, Max. It was so sizable. And the uh, the presentations were, were really nice and meaty. And I saw some familiar faces. Uh, the CEO of uh, the Airline Passenger Experience Association, Joe Leader, was there. He gave a, a really great presentation. And I thought it was interesting because you and I and we've talked about it forever, um, like when will passengers really start booking around the experience versus just price, you know? Hmm. We've always been waiting for that moment to come, that shoe to drop, as you say. Um, and Joe Leader said on stage that effectively that moment has come. Oh, and uh, that we're starting to see people look beyond just price. Um, for me, that gives you a bit of a shiver down the spine because we've always been waiting for it. Now, uh, to what degree, to what level, you know, time will tell. But I know even just from what we're seeing on Runway Girl Network and in terms of the interactions and in terms of the traffic and everything else, tech savvy travelers are certainly you know cognizant of the product they're flying on and they study it and they are educated but increasingly normal uh, you know even infrequent travelers they're a google click away from learning more about what to expect and they're doing just that max so here's hoping in this <laughs> digital world that pax x is going to become a major differentiator i believe it is uh, apex believes it is and increasingly of course atpico and root happy they're they're there saying we've known it for years <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, that will certainly bring some excitement to the space. It really will. It really will. All right. Well, next, what do you think about an air show that told a couple they wouldn't be able to bring in the breast milk and formula necessary to feed their infant? Now, Mary, I spoke with you a little bit about this a few weeks ago, and I have some, some news that's basically good. But essentially what happened was an Airplane Geeks listener planned to attend the St. Louis Air Show, especially to see the Red Arrows on their American tour. It's been about a decade, I think, since the Red Arrows came across the pond. But in order to attend, they would need to bring with them expressed breast milk and infant formula. Now, as with most events these days, attendees are not allowed to bring food or beverages into the show. So to be safe, my listener called the Air Show organizers but was told they could not bring anything like that into the air show. No breast milk, no formula. 
They were free, however, to return to their car during the show to feed the infant. Then they would be granted readmission. And while that's an accommodating gesture, it's not very practical. So sadly, the family chose not to attend. Well, I was livid and uh, (laughs) literally ready to go to war. But I thought I should get the facts straight first. So I reached out to the air show organizers and also to the event sponsor asking for confirmation that this was, in fact, the policy. And I actually wrote a threatening letter that was probably a little bit less than professional, but uh, I was pretty torqued off. Well, I did hear back from the air show organizers. And they said this was not the policy and noted that this was explained on the air show website. So off I went looking for that. And finally, deep in the FAQs, I found I found this, that no large coolers, food or beverages are permitted. Now, here's the key part. Exceptions are for small coolers carrying life-saving medicine or formula bottles and food for young infants subject to search. So I suggested that the show staff needed a little bit of uh, of retraining, perhaps. But I think this is yet another example of ignorance on this topic. And in this case, it turned out to be apparently the ignorance of a uh, particular individual and not uh, not of the air show as a whole. But we see examples of this sort of thing all the time, don't we, Mary? We really do, Max. And I have to say that it is really shocking. It's 2019 for that story to even be a thing. Yes. Um, but we do see examples. And, and sometimes I feel like women, gosh, we're damned if we do, we damned if we don't. Um, because, you know, if, if she were to then attend the air show and say publicly breastfeed, would she have been judged or admonished or, or told to go to somewhere? You know what I mean? There's, there's just like you're between a rock and a hard place half the time. And Max, it may not surprise you to learn that I'm a firm believer in freeing the nipple across the board. That <laughs> oh, doesn't surprise me. I'm just uh, I'm surprised to hear it uh, described that way, but that's good. Hashtag free the nipple. So I believe women should have total equality. And if society has deemed it acceptable for men to be topless, whether mowing the lawn, swimming in the ocean, or if you're like my neighbor jogging down the street, um, then I believe women deserve the exact same right. Um, I'd like to set these puppies free, Max, to be honest with you. <laughs> Oh, dear. Um, um, the sexualization of women's breasts has not benefited society, in my opinion, at all. Not at all. So when it comes to breastfeeding, I'm an ardent supporter of women being able to breastfeed in public, breastfeed really any damn place they see fit, to be honest. Um, and of course, that's not always possible. And there are countless stories out there of women being told to cover up, including on airlines. KLM, for instance, came under fire this year for doing so, uh, for telling a woman to cover up. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen the cover-ups for breastfeeding women, Max. They're almost like little tents oh, around, yes, yes. around the baby's head and the breasts and everything else. I mean, it can be really tricky to feed and maintain one's modesty at the same time. You know, I gave breastfeeding a go uh, with my daughter, and I managed it for two weeks uh, before things got too difficult for me, and I, I wasn't able to carry on for some medical reasons. But I I remember feeling like, you know, you had to skulk away into a bathroom if you wanted to feed. Like you never felt 
I never felt fully comfortable because you have felt like eyes around you if you were to to feed in public. So I, my feeling is if you don't want to see a woman feed her baby, then just don't look. Um, but interestingly, U.S. carriers have been rather progressive on this front, and most of them have clarified uh, that breastfeeding mothers are welcome on board. And most of the majors, many of the, the low-cost carriers, Max, it's kind of impressive. And there's reason for that because a lot of women, a lot of nursing mothers have gone to bat over the last decade. There's even been, uh, you know, protests at airports. And I don't know if you remember that, but I'd say it was maybe eight, ten years ago, I remember a, a, a protest where women were doing a sit-in and everyone was breastfeeding their, <laughs> their children. Yes. Um, to, to prove a point, and that point has been proven in the U.S., obviously there's carriers around the world that could step up uh, on this issue as well. But in tandem with all of this, and just as important, there are many women as well who want privacy when breastfeeding. Um, I'm a big believer in choice. So uh, privacy in breastfeeding uh, is, is a good thing as well if that's what you want. Um, and so that's why airports around the globe are bringing private pods to their facilities, which allow women to breastfeed or pump without prying eyes and judgment. Now, have you seen any of this, Max? Have you seen these uh, mamava pods, they're mm, called, yes. cropping up in airports? Yes, and, and it's very encouraging, too. And uh, companies are, are doing the same in some cases. I remember at, at Pratt & Whitney when I was working there, we had lactation rooms set up where uh, women could, during the workday, uh, go in, uh, pump the breast milk, and there was a refrigerator in there. It was a you know quiet environment. Of, of course, there were always a few Neanderthals walking around who would make totally inappropriate cracks about it. But I hope they're a dying breed. Uh, but it's yeah. it's it's great to see those in uh, companies. It's great to see those in uh, in airports. And uh, I I agree with you that the uh, the policies from the airlines that we've seen uh, regarding breastfeeding are very encouraging, and they make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, they really and truly do. And, uh, you know, even these pods now are, are becoming more inclusive. They've even rolled out uh, this company, Mamava. Uh, they've even rolled out a wheelchair accessible pod. Um, hmm. So, <laughs> you know, we often talk about how our industry seems to take two steps forward, only to go one back or vice versa. But this is a really serious step forward, Max. It's really exciting to see airports around the world embracing this amenity for nursing moms. But Again, I, uh, I stress that, in my opinion, it should be the woman's choice. So if you want to sit at the gate and breastfeed at the gate, I believe you should have the right to do that. Um, and again, if someone doesn't want to look at it, turn away. I mean, no one's forcing you to, to and, and candidly, why would you be? And why would you be staring anyways? Um, but if, if you prefer a more private experience, then, then having that right to do that is so important as well. And so truly, Brava to the airports that are embracing Mamava and to the airlines that have taken a very progressive stance on this issue. Many of the same airlines, shall I say, as also Max, have taken a very progressive stance on uh, LGBTQ uh, plus causes. Um, and we've just seen that here uh, in the last couple of years. It's, it's really edifying to see major airlines like Delta and American Airlines and United Airlines um, really uh, – moving forward on equal rights for all. Um, so so whereas there's a lot of political noise uh, with respect to the orange one, there are some really meaningful changes happening at corporations and around the world that, you know, I want to bring some of that to light. 
uh, here at Runway Girl Network, some of the positives that are happening within our industry that's exciting. Yes, and we need positives because there's <laughs> there, there's there's certainly enough to counterbalance the positives these days. And uh, this is uh, this is a great one. This is uh, something that's yeah, you know time has more than come. And so yes, it is encouraging to see uh, progressive thinking going on in the in the aviation industry. It really is. Well, let's move on to our last topic. Certainly not the least is the international team of experts convened by the FAA, the Joint Authorities Technical Review Panel. Uh, they've criticized Boeing's design of the MCAS system on the 737 MAX and also the FAA for delegating a high amount of approvals to Boeing's designated certification representatives. Well, meanwhile... Boeing's board has removed the title of chairman from CEO Dennis Muhlenberg. And there are uh, some different interpretations of just what that might mean. But back to the uh, the technical review panel, uh, they uh, had some effects that they that they saw and some recommendations that they made. But in terms of the effects, they saw that the MCAS design was based on data architecture and assumptions that were reused from the 737NG, and I think we're, we're aware of that, but they thought that a detailed aircraft level evaluation was lacking. They also thought that changes were made to the MCAS along the way, but they were not properly evaluated. And, of course, they also noted the concern of uh, almost every pilot out there that pilots were not informed about the MCAS and that there was no training for that. Uh, and also the uh, report identifies, well, they call it undue pressure on Boeing employees for uh, or who were performing the certification activities. And I think that we've, uh, we've talked about the pressure that Boeing was under to uh, come up with and respond to Airbus with their A320neo family. Uh, but uh, a number of recommendations were made by the team and the panel, and they uh, encouraged the FAA to institute a top-down approach. This is a quote, whereby every aircraft change is evaluated from an integrated whole aircraft system perspective. Uh, that, you know, that's something that you would think is, is already taking place and, and maybe it is. I mean, this is a, an issue that's long been solved by many industrial sectors. I, I think of software making changes to, to a software program. You've got to have a process to ensure that that doesn't create unintended consequences in other parts of the uh, of the program. Generate bugs, in other words. And you'd think Boeing would be an expert at that, wouldn't you, Mary? You would. You would, Max. Um, I got to say, the the findings from this panel I found quite troubling, but uh, to a certain degree, not terribly surprising, if you know what I mean, um, because. For years, the industry has self-reported and used what's called the Organization Designation Authorization Program, otherwise known as ODA, to their benefit. Uh, and this is a means by which the FAA can delegate um, 
to, quote, a qualified private person, a matter related to issuing certificates or related to the examination, testing, and inspection necessary to issue a certificate on behalf of the FAA administrator. So effectively, allowing... them to oversee themselves uh, for a good chunk of the, the, the process um, and, and allowing them to, uh, you know, authorize um, and certify, um, you know, based on, you know, some, some fairly, you know, rigid regs, but at the same time, this sure. is a bit of a farming out, right? And, yes. and we've known that. Now, the reason they've done it, Max, is, of course, the technology is moving so fast. And the agency simply hasn't had the resources to catch up. You know yourself that the FAA reauthorization, you know, is a contentious topic every five years Mm -hmm. for some reason. Um, And and that affects so many aspects of the industry, including, of course, the business aviation side as well. And it's really baffling to me that regulators have to fight for funding, uh, you know, uh, for the FAA. So it feels like something has got to change, something has got to give, we need better oversight, but better oversight costs money. Um, What do you think? It does. I think that you have to delegate, that the FAA has to delegate, the regulators have to delegate a certain amount of authority just because of the the technical complexity and all. And this happens in other industries as well. But maybe what the panel is getting at here is – there, there needs to be some kind of an oversight function that can look at the degree to which that delegation is, is successful and, and appropriate. Uh, so it's one thing just to say that we're going to delegate, but the question needs to be answered, I think, is how much is delegated? Are we over-delegating? You know, how do you manage that uh, from a global standpoint? But there are some other issues, and maybe the panel gets into them. But uh, a large issue for me is this apparent disconnect between how Boeing thought pilots would respond and how they actually did respond when confronted with this runaway trim condition that was caused by erroneous input data into the MCAS, in other words, the angle of attack indicators. And, And that's another question. Why are angle of attack indicators so vulnerable? If it was a perfect instrument, I think none of this would have happened. We wouldn't have had yeah. these these two accidents. But I don't see a lot of interest in addressing the robustness of, of these sensors. Instead, what we see is uh, Boeing taking the approach, and others as well, of multiple sensors and multiple systems to ensure that there's agreement between the multiple sis- uh, sensors. <laughs> it kind of goes back to, isn't there a way to design a sensor that isn't, so fragile, apparently. <laughs> yeah, isn't there a way to for, to get it right? I mean, um, although questions have to be asked about the, re, the the redundancy there, of course, and we've talked about it in the past, Max. But um, but yeah, very good point. Go to go to the core. What about the sensor? Um, Boeing is called out by this panel for designing MCAS based on data architecture and assumptions that were reused from a previous aircraft configuration without sufficient detailed aircraft level evaluation of the appropriateness of such reuse and as you say without additional safety margins and features this is one of the the issues that that the panel has and we've seen this on the seat side front as well max where data 
is is used past data on on um, prior shall we say aircraft uh, series um, let's just say the 737 where where seat data is used from say a 7 737ng uh, to be used for e evacuation uh, simulations um, that determine whether or not a, an aircraft is certified for more seats shall we say this is something that that they've done on the seat front on the PAXX front so it's really uh, not too terribly surprising that it's been done overall on the airframe and uh, <laughs> manufacturing front it, it's it seems like there there needs to be a lot of change Max, um, Boeing seems to be appreciating that now with uh, some changes at the top, of course, and, and it's possible we might see more. Um, there's a lot of folks now predicting that the clock is ticking on, on Muhlenberg. You know, it remains to be seen. Um, but the impact, as you and I have talked about a lot, uh, is, is significant. Um, CNBC has a fascinating exchange with the CEO of United, um, Oscar Munoz, and, and he's just very candid, you know, um, he's asked, you know, do you have confidence that early January will be the start date? Because, of course, all these airlines have been pushing it out, pushing it out. And the latest is it look, looking like early next year. Um, and Oscar says, you know, no one knows, right? Yes. The aspect for us at United is I have great confidence in our pilots and our training in our max product when it does return. We'll do it when it's safe to do it. So, Huge question mark right now as to the when, for all the valid reasons that we've talked about here on the last number of podcasts, because this is the number one story, Max, still in aviation. It's something that we can't ignore. These aircraft are piling up, quite literally. And then there's the, there's the whole other question of the cost around just keeping these aircraft um, safe and maintained yes. while they're on the ground. You know, I mean, I th I'm trying to think who was it. Was it Bloomberg or Forbes that wrote a piece about, um, you know, the activities involved in keeping critters out of these aircraft that are parked? Mm -hmm. um, you know, <laughs> just that basic I don't need a squirrel gnawing on the on the wires uh, <laughs> aspect of it all. You know, it, there's it's so much complexity, so much cost, and and heading into the well, it's, it's at the several billion mark now. Yes, and and I think continues to climb. Yeah. You know, we had a uh, listener over at Airplane Geeks, a 13 year old listener who who sent us a well, actually a number of voicemails, but in one of them, his main point was. Can you guys stop talking about the 737 MAX so much? And what we tried to explain is that this really isn't a 737 MAX story. It's not even really a Boeing story. The ramifications from this are and will continue to be, I think, industry-wide. Yeah. And the, this will probably be one of those um, uh, case studies in business schools across the world, mm -hmm. you know, that ranks up there with uh, some of the other classic uh, business cases. Uh, there are just so many aspects to this. The ramifications are far-reaching and long-lasting, I think. We're, we're going to see a lot of different things change at Boeing, but we're going to see a lot of different things change with the FAA and with uh, other uh, other manufacturers and airlines across the world. This is just a, a huge story that continues to get larger, it seems. 
It, it really does. And, and not a day goes by these days where Boeing isn't facing some sort of negative headline because it's not just the 737 MAX. Uh, of course, MAX, they've, there's been some issues on the 737NG that has uh, totally unrelated, but th- that has caused airlines to have to do checks. And yes. the, the things that used to be considered regular, you know, uh, you know, the occasional airworthiness directive, when it involves a Boeing aircraft now, it becomes a much bigger deal in the context of what's happening with the MAX. So so kind of some of the headlines that would have been considered, well, you know, par for the course in any industry, you know, making sure aircraft are safe suddenly, suddenly get a lot of attention. So every day there seems to be something negative about Boeing and that's hurting them as well, of course. And as you say, it's reverberating throughout the industry and it'll also uh, have an impact on the regulatory front because many of uh, uh, the safety regulators around the world have operated in lockstep with the FAA and they've got had very good faith cooperation. Um, so it begs a number of questions then about their own oversight of their own airlines. And um, so, yes, it's 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 huge. It's um, it's going to have major change, um, but but just how it's all going to play out it, it remains to be seen. Because of course, on top of everything else, as we've said many times before, passengers are afraid of flying this aircraft, and uh, there's a lot that are still very afraid. Yes, and I keep hoping it will be over soon. But I know. <laughs> we'll see. Max, you'd like to talk about something else, Max. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I get it. I get it. But um, uh, unfortunately, we're rapidly coming to a close. We want to thank our listeners. Uh, Remember, you can find us online at runwaygirlnetwork.com and on Apple and Google Podcasts. And also, I just want to let listeners know, we'd love to hear from you, Um, whether it's on social media, whether it's on Twitter, uh, using the PaxX hashtag. We're monitoring that all the time. So we we see what's being said. But if you ever want to reach out directly and and give your thoughts about some of the things that myself and Max talk about, how you feel yourself about the Max or other topics, please feel free to do so. My email is mary at runwaygirlnetwork.com. I would love to get your feedback on that front. And of course, remember to use the PAXX hashtag when you're tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. We'd absolutely love to have you. Yes. And please join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PAXX podcast. Take care, everyone. 